This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to have you join me today for my first episode as a podcast. Redefine You, the series began at the start of lockdown in 2020. It was inspired by a self-help book I had written for my own personal self and titled it Redefine You. Like many of us, I had felt hopeless during the first lockdown and really wanted to give back, which is why I decided to dig deep into my personal journey to becoming unapologetically myself, which then led me to become curious about my friends' journeys. We all struggle with mental health. Yes, it wasn't until the global pandemic that many of us in the industry started to share our stories and become more authentic with our audiences. I feel so lucky that so many of my friends in the industry put their trust in me to share their stories and to show that sometimes we must suffer to get to the greatness, and that's okay. With Redefine You, the podcast, I can't wait to continue these conversations on self-exploration and amplify the stories of people many admire and get to know the real truth in taking ownership in themselves. I want to help guide you into the power in accepting who you are. As the most beautiful thing you can be is leading a life of being unapologetically yourself, which is why today I want to talk you through my top three tips to living in a state of full acceptance. It's living without judgment, tending to your emotional triggers, and most importantly, building your personalized toolbox. In today's episode, we will dive into my top three tips to living in a state of full acceptance and focus on living without shame towards our mental well-being, which is why we will be speaking to Dr. Dominic Sportelli. He is double board certified in adult general psychiatry and child and adolescent psychiatry through the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. In addition to being a brilliant, experienced mental health practitioner, he's also open and vulnerable about his own personal struggles with mental health. Dr. Dominic, I am so thrilled to have you have this conversation with me today on my first podcast. Haley, it is so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm listening to your intro and you're a woman after my own heart. I'm just listening (laughs) to everything you're saying, the insight and the brilliance and the desire to help. And just, I can't wait to contribute. So let's, let's dig in. Thank you. Well, before we get started, as you know, some of the topics we're going to be discussing here today can be triggering. So if you are somebody that feels like you need to speak to somebody in crisis right here, right now, you can always text home to 741-741 or head over to activeminds.org slash MH resources for curated resources ready to hear from you. Now, as I start every episode, I like to ask my guests, if you were to check in with yourself, Right here, right now, what would you find? So I love that, by the way, because it's grounding and it's mindful. And checking in with yourself on a regular basis is important because we get Mm -hmm. away from ourselves. So without getting into too much psychobabble, what would I find? What would you find or what would I find? I I would say that on a scale from one to 10, 
um, an eight, 10 being best. I feel calm and comfortable. That's pretty um, good. I'm in my home office and very Zen. And I'm doing what I love right now with you. I'm doing what I love and I'm doing what I've been passionate about my whole life. So, so I feel good. I feel good. I feel grounded and I'm ready. I love how you did the scales. I feel like every time I go to the doctor's <laughs> office and they tell me one to 10, I feel like if I don't get the right answer, I'm, 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 you know, Oh God, I'm like, Oh no, I don't know. I said a five. I thought I meant a seven. I don't know. It's like, but I love that you are at, at eight. I think that the most important thing that you can do is to feel grounded within your purpose. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You're feeling grounded and talking with me today as am I with you, because we know that this is our purpose and it's to speak about taking ownership yourself, which then relates back into ourselves taking ownership within who we are. You know, as today's focus is living without shame towards our mental well-being, how important is it for us to live without shame towards taking ownership in our mental health challenges? It's the foundation, Haley. It's the foundation. Yeah. It's it's everything. You know, and I know <laughs> I know that sounds crazy and it sounds like I'm just like just throwing this out, but it's everything. It's well, you got to think about shame, like the word shame, like what, mm -hmm. what does that even mean? I think that's an important thing to just explore, to understand, because the more you understand about it, the more you can sort of figure it out and, and help yourself and others. So yep. shame is when we think we violate some sort of social norm, right? So we think we're not fitting in, we're not doing something right. We we don't fit some box in our own mind. And then what happens is we develop this negative view and perspective on ourselves based on that feeling of not fitting in or doing something right based on that societal norm. And what that does, Haley, is it sets off a cascade, a complete cascade of neg negative thinking, anxiety, depression. So, so imagine if you already have depression or anxiety mm -hmm. or bipolar disorder or an eating disorder or whatever it may be. And now you're saying, oh my God, I'm not like everyone else because I can't go to parties or be social or I'm too depressed to get out of bed. So not only am I depressed, but now I'm shameful of what I'm feeling yeah. and how I'm not like everyone else. And now that just perpetuates the self-talk and you get stuck in this cycle. So it's so important, so, so important to identify that feeling of shame, understand what that self-judgment is about and, and cut it off, figure out how to cut it off. Yeah. And I think recognize the fact that the shame's actually coming from society's point of view pointed to you, right? So what's your relationship with your mental well-being? And it's so empowering and freeing when you take ownership of just that. Now, that doesn't come easy and it's not something we've always been talking about. So we do need to give ourselves a little bit of a break. I feel like only in the past two years, we have necessarily been speaking about it in the media in a place where we can say that you can live a happy, successful life lifestyle and still champion and walk alongside your mental illness. It brings me straight back to self-acceptance, right? Because in the body image world, it's all about living in a state of acceptance, but acceptance works not only personally, but also professionally. It, it allows us to really feel grounded in our being and most importantly, our worth. Do you feel acceptance is something that comes over time or can it be kind of this moment by moment thing? Acceptance is something that takes practice. It's something that takes a daily repetition. Now, I want to say something that may resonate with you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, do you know what, some people don't even know what this is. I don't know if I'm crazy. Do you know what tell sea me, glass, tell me. Right. Do you know what sea glass is? Like sea glass, right? Like if you're yeah. on the beach and you see this beautiful stone that washes up, that's smooth, but it used to be like something else. It used to be like shards of glass or something, right? So it's like sea glass, right? Dr. Dominic, yes. the surfer is coming out in you. It's totally coming out. You guys are singing my, and I'm going surfing this weekend too. But so sea glass, right? This is how we are shaped from the past and even moving forward. And the way that sea glass is formed is little tiny inputs over years and years and years. Mm. Now, when we're looking at ourselves and we're really trying to change ourselves positively and add acceptance into our life, we have to know that we're like sandblasting that sea glass to try and make it change a little bit, but it takes a lot of little inputs. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's why I mean, it's like, it's like practice. So it's, it's grounding yourself, understanding that potential feeling of shame or those negative feelings and saying it's okay. And then normalizing it, but continually doing that. So, so to answer your question, I think it's a long-term goal with lots of little inputs to just reshape that sea glass that is you that's been tumbling in that ocean for all these years, getting shaped in different ways. Now, good psychotherapy and a good therapist, that can be like sandblasting it and kind of working a little harder and faster, but it does take work and practice. And I think that's an important point because we live in a quick fix society mm. and, and everyone's like, I want to be better yesterday. I'm depressed. I don't want to feel this anymore. What can I do? What can I buy? What drug can I take? How do I feel better? And you're talking to somebody that's been in psychiatry, behavioral health for years and years and years now. And the good news and the bad news is that there is no quick fix. But knowing that is good news because it's just practice, right? Well, it brings us back to the we're ever evolving beings. You know, yeah. we're going to always evolve. And so is our mental health and our well-being journey as and as we grow older into ourselves and into our surroundings, into the new energies that are being brought into our into our lives. And I think it's it's so silly to say, okay, even in the body positive world, it's I'm body positive. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be positive every single day for the rest of my life and nothing's ever going to come into it. Well, that's not realistic, honey. I'm so sorry to break it to you. What's realistic is that we feel our emotions deeply and we should be able to live unapologetically by knowing that there's freedom in the ups and the downs and the evolution of who you are. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. You know, we speak, obviously, that 615 million people are suffering globally from a mental health disorder. And with one in five suffering from a mental illness in their lifetime, these stats definitely go beyond just the importance in speaking up and speaking out. How do we really eliminate the guilt when recognizing that we, too, are challenged by not being okay all of the time? Because it's normal. Because it's normal. Right. And. And I know I'm kind of like throwing these generalizations out, but I want that to sink in 
it's normal. It's normal to have bad days, bad months. It's okay. Now, of course, mental illness is defined by the fact that when things are getting so bad and so out of control that it affects your life in a negative way and can kind of lead down some pretty dangerous potential or bad trajectories, right? And then it's a mental illness where we have to address it. But even that is not abnormal, right? I think, you know, we we chatted a little bit and and I talked about, you know, I'm a medical physician, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a medical doc. And I look at depression or anxiety as physical pain in, in a very similar way. If we didn't have physical pain, we would mm-hmm. not survive. We wouldn't survive. There are illnesses. There's a genetic illness where people don't feel pain and they don't live very long. And they don't live very long because they don't have a warning system. So if you don't feel pain and you get an appendicitis, you're in big trouble, right? Mm. If you have an internal bleed and you don't feel pain, you're in big trouble. Well, guess what? If you don't have anxiety, you're in big trouble because you're not going to have a warning system to say, whoa, wait a second, that might not be safe. That might not be right. That might not be a good circumstance. Anxiety is a warning system. Depression can also be a sign that something's not going right in your life and you have to sort of address it and make some changes. So to think that, There is any ideal with no pain or no necessity for pain is completely the wrong perspective. It's completely the wrong perspective. Not to mention, you know, I mean, you read any philosophy. I read a lot of Alan Watts and I read a lot of Eastern philosophy and Buddhist philosophy. And it all ties in because you can't appreciate light if you don't have dark. You can't appreciate Mm -hmm. hard if you don't know what soft is. You Mm -hmm. can't, you need to, we need to know the spectrum of living in order to have the best, right? And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying everyone has to go through a horrible depression to know what it is to be happy, but it's okay to have the ups and downs. And the point is, if you're letting those downs or the anxieties or the depressions define you and make you feel different and stigmatized, then it's just going to perpetuate that. And, and it's going to be harder to come out of it. So it's normal and it's okay. And it's part of life. It's right? so normal. And it's so beautiful to actually see that we all struggle to get to our triumphs, that yeah. there's always going to be little things along the way, but it's how we adapt to those things and how we feel like we're grounded with our anxiety or depression. So we're not fearful of it. And that's where destigmatizing mental health conversations comes into play. Because if you can start to put a face towards anxiety or start to put a face toward depression and open up society to feel comfortable to say, hey, it's okay to not be okay. Okay, and today I'm struggling. What can I do for me to serve myself? And if I can't find the answer, I know there's a community that I feel welcomed enough to be able to bring my concerns to. You know, there's so much strength in vulnerability, and that is something that we have seen greatly this past year. In treatment, you know, what are some of the most common responses around fear on speaking up openly about their struggles? Um, Is it the fear of what others may think? Is it their own concerns with self-judgment? What what is the most reoccurring thing that you hear? Yeah, I think think there's so many things that contribute to the stigma and and that vulnerability and fear. But I would say, if I had to say the top one would be misunderstanding. Generally speaking, just the general population misunderstanding mental illness, right? So it's like, if I admit that I have a major depressive disorder 
all of a sudden I'm some broken individual that no one's going to love and no one's going to talk to and no yeah. one's going to hire for a job and no one's going to right? which is completely crazy. That's not the case at all. But that, that misinformation and that not understanding what certain mental illnesses are creates that fear to come out and say, Hey, listen, I suffer from this, right? Like, you know, we don't really have a hard time saying I'm diabetic. You know, I need to take blood. I got to monitor my blood sugar three times a day. We have no problem saying that, yeah. but we have a hard time saying, yeah, you know, I suffer from a major depressive disorder that, that kind of comes and goes or, or, or an anxiety disorder, a panic disorder, or OCD. I mean, whatever it may be, but it's the fear of judgment, criticism, and, and also sometimes for people, Individually, I think admitting it to yourself sometimes is a really hard thing because of the self-judgment. Yeah. Right. So, so you don't yeah. want to admit it. It's like I have to remain stoic. I have to be strong, and I can't admit that I'm depressed or anxious. And I gotta. And now you're putting on a facade, and deep down inside you're struggling. And now you're coping ineffectively, maybe by numbing yourself out. God forbid, drinking or doing something else. Right. So. So I think it's 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 just a misunderstanding of what mental illness truly is. And you can completely live a very normal, happy, healthy life mm -hmm. with good treatment and good support, you know, so. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, even for myself being in this industry, I was always a body activist and I've been a body activist since I was 14 years old, sort of something that just fell on my lap. And then I recognized, wow, okay, I have a duty to use my voice for good and speak up for people who can't, but I've always struggled with anxiety and depression and it never felt comfortable, if you may say, for me to speak openly about it in the public view, because I did have those concerns that then I was not going to be able to book the right jobs. I was going to be looked as less of and not ready or professional enough to be able to take on that role. Right. But that's why it's been such an amazing, freeing, beautiful thing that's happened over the past year, because now we're all coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, wait, I've struggled. I've struggled. I've struggled. And it makes you so much more relatable and it just allows you to connect with so many different people. And I've heard so many stories from my friends in the industry and even friends of my end that are in the industry that are photographers that have reached out to me being like, you know, that time we were on a shoot and I didn't come to lunch. Well, I feel like I really want to tell you now I was having a panic attack and I didn't know who to run to. And I looked at him and I said, I wish you would have just told me. I wish you would have just come to me and we would have been able to figure it out together and get through that day together. And it's this beautiful thing that when you start to show your vulnerability to one person, they feel that they can be vulnerable with you, whether that be personally or professionally. But I'm speaking on the professional standpoint because I do know that that's been a concern for many people. And that's where this podcast started. It was a lot of my friends who've been in the industry for more than 10 years who never felt like they could speak openly about having an anxiety attack before a press conference, but then finally felt like, let's talk about it. Let's show that I got through that day and what was in my toolbox to get me through that day. Um, I love that you said, you know, that, that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to mental illness. There is a, this perception of what people may think mental illness is. There's also a perception of what people think happens to somebody once they get treatment. And we want to break that stigma, right? We want to be able to showcase that, yes, somebody can deal with anxiety, but that can feel and look different for each and every person. I know that you personally struggle with anxiety, depression, 
just as I do. Can you speak to the audience a little bit more about what your journey has been like and what that feels like for you? Yeah, definitely. And I'm happy to do so because it's part of breaking the stigma. Now, I mean, think about it. I'm a psychiatrist. I treat mental illness, right? Yeah. So, so many people would probably be like, you know, I can't, I can't have a problem because I'm the one that's supposed to give everyone the answer to that problem. So right off the bat, it was very, very challenging for me to sort of come out with the fact that I've struggled with mental illness pretty much my entire life. And I can start by saying that as a child, I had multiple different anxiety disorders that manifested in different ways. And, and as a child, I, I struggled with obsessive compulsive disorder and panic disorder and separation anxiety. And it was torture because I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. And, and I don't know, for, I love my family. I love my parents, but they were first generation European, very stoic, did not believe in mental illness. Like, if, what do you mean you're nervous? Just what do you mean? Like, right? You're depressed? Go, go outside and play. Stop it. Right? So I didn't have that support. So I felt very alone. And I just didn't know what was wrong with me. And I, and I you know, just struggled through it. Now, thankfully, as a, as a young adult, I did get help. And, yeah. and it helped me through my depression and anxiety. And, and my, my anxiety sort of manifested into depression. I mean, you know, I can't diagnose myself. I can't, but I can theorize that, you know, all of that anxiousness and, and internalizing all of that and feeling different for the majority of my young adulthood sort of turned into like a depression, right? And mm. that's kind of my, my thought. But um, so then I became very depressed and I, and I certainly know what it's like to be incredibly depressed. And, you know, when I went to medical school and, and I was a doc and I was a family medicine doctor, I was treating, you know, coughs and colds and high blood pressure and diabetes and, and yeah. you know, <laughs> all that stuff. And what I noticed, Haley, was that people were coming into my office and when someone would say to me, hey, doc, yeah, I have a cough. I have a sore throat. Can you look at my throat? And I would look at it and give him an antibiotic. But if someone came into my office and said, I'm not getting out of bed, I'm not showering, I've lost my zest for life, I don't enjoy things anymore. It's like my ears would perk up yeah. and I would listen and I would be like, oh my God, I understand this. This is clin potentially clinical depression. Let's get you some help. And that's when I knew right there that I had to go and study psychiatry and behavioral health. And, you know, for what it's worth, and I, you know, I don't know, but I think that my struggles with it helped me as a professional as well to, to understand it a little bit more because I've sort of been through it. Definitely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's my journey, you know, and it's a lifelong journey. You know, we all have bad days and good days and, and, uh, you know, now I know the clinical stuff about it all, like the biopsychosocial stuff, which we can talk about and the genetics of it and the neurotransmission and the medications and the therapies. <laughs> but, you know, just because you know that doesn't mean you can fix yourself, right? So you still need help. There's one thing that I've always said, and I said this to you yesterday when we had a little talk, is that I truthfully have always believed the universe put me on this planet to speak my pain through story. And that I've gone through all of this for a reason, for a purpose. And to be able to relate to another person by saying, it wouldn't feel authentic for me to speak about mental health if I didn't experience it myself. Now, you know, one of the things we spoke about earlier is tending to your emotional triggers. 
as I get older and more educated around mental health and mental well-being, the word trigger starts to kind of get circled around. It's something that probably wasn't in my vocabulary a couple of years back, but now it's something that I use quite frequently of understanding my anxiety, understanding my depression, being able to identify when a trigger is coming or a flare up, and then helping myself tend to it, right? I really want you to talk a little bit more about triggers. If you can break that down for somebody who may not understand that word completely just yet, and also how they really help when a flare up is coming in our own mental journey. So, you know, when people have various mental illness, let's just say, let's just say it's trauma, right? Like a history of trauma and, or maybe bullying, or maybe, maybe there's a personality disorder with a fear of abandonment, right? I mean, we could basically fill in the blanks and with whatever sort of mental struggle people are going through. Mm-hmm. Most people, unfortunately, that suffer from these internal struggles, they don't really understand it, but they feel it, right? Yeah. They, they feel just horrible. They feel nervous. They feel uncomfortable. They feel irritable. They feel mm-hmm. angry. They feel explosive but they don't really understand more than the emotion of it, more than the presentation of it, which can be horrible because that ruins relationships. You get into arguments, you lock yourself in your room, whatever, you hurt yourself, God forbid. So depending on what your struggle is, identifying triggers or sort of understanding when you're going down that path is is so incredibly important because the word of the day for that is, insight. If you have insight into understanding and to catch those triggers, what you're going to do is basically take that snowball that's on the top of a mountain that's starting to turn into an avalanche and you're stopping it. Yeah. Because mental health and mental illness and our behavioral health develops momentum. And you know, that's on the good side too. You know, we can develop positive momentum as well but there's a negative emotional momentum. So think of that avalanche that's just starting, like there's a little snowballs kind of starting to trickle. And if you can identify that in yourself with education and therapy and say, okay, all right. And you've spoken with your therapist on your, your personal coping strategies because everyone's different, right? So maybe so let's just say it's panic disorder, right? And I'm about to go on stage on a TV show, which I do often, and I, I start to feel the tinglys, right? And the butterflies, and I start to yep. feel dizzy. I go, okay, I've, I know that this is a panic attack. I know that my heart rate is increasing because my body's going into fight or flight. I'm gonna take four or five deep breaths. I'm gonna let it pass. And then I've sort of stopped that cascade of events, right? Mm-hmm. So I've I identified kind of the triggers and the emotions and the feelings and the physical feelings. And I've stopped those things in their tracks. And, and the more we can realize and recognize those things, um, in each individual case, sort of the better off our trajectory is going to be, right? And the safer we feel and the safer we can be and, and you know, build ourselves to be better. You know, I, I, I do that often as well before I go on to a live show. It's all about breath work, essential oils mm-hmm. for me. It's um, doing a little bit of a routine that I've always had from wherever I go from acting to, you know, going on to a live show. But one of the biggest things that I was taught a long time ago, and this is where I think, how you look upon a word is very helpful. It's instead of being nervous, which can cause that idea of anxiety, it's that you care. So Mm -hmm. looking at these emotions that are coming inside you, instead of being fearful of it, go like, oh, 
all right, she cares today. Awesome. This is great. I'm here to show up. I love my job. Mm-hmm. So these butterflies are here with me to help me get into the mood. And it's the way that you start to trick your mind into understanding that you have control over it, even if it's going to happen without your control. Right. So these butterflies are going to be there, but let's start looking at those butterflies and welcome them to the party kind of thing. Um You know, one of the biggest things I think has really helped me in the past just couple months moving back from the UK to LA, not knowing that this little inner child inside me was going to come pop out and triggers were going to be dodging everywhere (laughs) was boundaries. And I know that people talk about it and I've read books about it that are friends of mine that speak so eloquently on. And I kept being like, oh, you know, it's hard to say no to people and it's hard to figure out really what is that boundary that you need? But I'm telling you, if you find that boundary and you know that that trigger is about to come up, it is the most successful thing because you are dodging that flare up before it even enters. So what is your relationship with boundaries? And then we'll touch a little bit also on the vocabulary that we present to our loved ones um, around our triggers, because that, I think, is really educational for ourselves. Yeah, you know, it's and if I might, I want to touch back on something you said because I think it was so profound. The story that you shared about the individual that had an anxiety attack and sort of disappeared and then came back and said, I should have told you. I really want to emphasize that because sometimes acknowledging that you have it dissipates the whole thing. Mm. Right? So, and my point is this, like, And I tell my patients this, patients and clients, I tell them this all the time because they'll say, oh my God, what if this happens? Yeah. And you know what I say? So what? So what? And they're like, I never really actually thought that. I always (laughs) thought catastrophe was going to happen, like total catastrophe, right? So if I'm going out on a set and, or I'm going to do a talk and I say, hey guys, sorry if I'm a little nervous. You know, my voice might shake a little bit. I might get a little dizzy. I might have to take a break. It's like, I just normalized it. And it's like, oh my God, I was worried about, I was worried about worrying and I was worried about everyone else knowing that I was worried. And now that's off the table. It's good. It's fine. Whatever. And if I have a panic attack, I have a panic attack. It's fine. So I really wanted to touch on that because that's very, very, very important. When it comes to like boundaries and in behavioral health, I think there's a few a few sort of things to to address. It's actually a really interesting discussion. So for example, Mm -hmm. I think there's something in psychiatry that's called self-disclosure. And that means sharing your personal stories with your patients. And that, believe it or not, and sort of what I'm doing now, which I'm, I'm more open about my behavioral health and my mental health, but, you know, we still have to have as healthcare providers sort of Mm -hmm. a boundary there because you don't want your clients or patients to feel as though they need to help you, right? Mm. (laughs) You have to make sure that you have that boundary to know that it's a clean clinical environment, a very clean, unbiased clinical environment. So, So as a practitioner, you know, certain boundaries are very, very important. When it comes to family and friends and things like that, Um, I think your comfort level is probably the most important thing. Like how much do you want to share? And I would advise only sharing with people that you really trust and really care and people that can sort of understand as far as like sharing your, um, sort of struggles with, 
because a lot of people, again, don't understand and it, and it might be challenging for them to process that. So, yeah. you know, close family, close friends, loved ones, your support systems, sort of sharing in that respect. And don't get discouraged. Yeah. You know, just if somebody doesn't understand, that's okay. Someone else will. You know, I think that that's another great thing because sometimes, you know, you knock on the wrong door and you think that that's it. No one's ever going to get me. No one's, I'm, I'm alone in this battle. And that's not the case. And that's the beauty of even what we're doing here today is you can pop on a podcast and feel like finally you're heard and you're seen and you're welcomed. And that's what we want out of, out of life, right? We just want to feel like we have a way to be able to make a purpose in our own purposeful life. Um, yeah. Sorry, Haley, was I know, cutting you off? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I wanted, I wanted, to, you're just like on this awesome trend of, of what's important, right? What you're saying and what you just said, I, I just, listen, you're saying things that took me years and years and years of study to realize. So you have so much insight into this, probably because of your own struggles and mm-hmm. the people that you've dealt you. with. But what you're saying, communication, relationships, interpersonal understanding, right? Here's the kicker. Here's like the kicker of kickers, right? And like the <laughs> multi-million dollar cliche answer is that life is not about the things. It's not about money, wealth, fame, aesthetics. It's about relationships, a sense of community, a sense of comp- like re- reciprocity and understanding each other, feeling understood. That's what truly makes people happy. And, and we have studies to show that now. And, and I wish, again, we were chat, I wish you know we could have recorded some of the things we talked about last night because I wish they taught that. I wish they taught that in <laughs> high school and college and grammar school that there's been a Harvard study called the adult study, um, trying to think of a specific name, uh, Dr. Waldinger has been following this study, 75 years to follow adults through their life to see what makes people happy, what people are happy and analyze their life and figure it out. And it's all about friendships and community and involvement with other people and that, that reciprocity. And it never, ever had to do with money or fame or prestige or any of that. But yet, I think so many people are confused that if I'm, if I have a six pack, I'll be happy. If I'm good looking with a nice smile, I'll be happy. If I have $10 million in the bank, I'll be happy. If I drive a nice sports car, I'll be happy. If I get this job, I'll be happy. Well, you know what? That's called the hedonic treadmill. That's that thing where you think you're going to get somewhere. It's going to make the difference and you get there. I just want to tell Everyone, the sexiest thing that you can do in your life is to be unapologetically yourself. And how cool is it that you can live a life of getting to know you and that will change. That's the whole thing with redefine you. You can redefine yourself every day, every moment, every second without shame. But at the end of the day, you're never going to be happy until you actually find what serves you. What ticks you off? What makes you happy? What makes you feel things? So instead of wasting all this time and energy on trying to be friends or, or hang out with a group of people that don't make you feel worthy. Instead, hang out with yourself and make yourself feel worthy because it is there. You just need to find it. Right. So think about like think about this for a second. 
If you're living a life and you don't really know yourself deeply, but you're living the superficial life of what you think is going to make you happy, that you is a superficial you that doesn't even know what they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, that might sound totally crazy. And I'm sorry if that <laughs> sounds like some like like some philosophical banter, but it's it's true. If if you get to know you and what's important and what's meaningful in your life, then you're making the right decisions, right? Then you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Then you're sort of chasing the right dreams. Mm-hmm. But if you're that person who when you were five, six, seven, eight years old and your dad and mom wanted you to be X, Y, and Z and your friends and peers wanted you to be X, Y, and Z. And now you define yourself as that facade and you're trying to fulfill that facade, then you're just never going to be happy. So learning who you are, is what it's all about. You know, I speak so openly about building your toolbox. And that's one of my top tips from the beginning of this pod. I always say you need to have a big, giant toolbox because you never know what's going to happen. And our mental health can surprise us at any time. And I know from my own personal experience, gratitude lists don't really kick it for me. I'm more of a breath work and essential oils type of person, but there is a spectrum of it, right? So it can go from skincare all the way up to EDMR work. You know, there's so many things in between. What is in your toolbox? And why do you think it's important that in our work with our relationship with self, that we always make sure that we find things outside of ourselves that really do lend for us to feel better in times of need. Yeah. And and that's an important point. The fact that everyone's completely individual and unique. And and I want to say that that's actually one of the reasons that I went into psychiatry and I found it so fascinating is that Mm -hmm. human behavior is every single client that sits in front of me is a different stew of ingredients that made them who they are. And, and presenting with whatever they're presenting with, yeah, right? There were so many things that went into that. So their coping strategies in their toolbox is going to be different than mine or yours. And that's why it's important to figure out what works for you because it could be really frustrating. Like if, you know, you go online and you're like, here's five tips to do something. And you're like, do X, yeah. Y, and Z. And you're like, yeah, no, I, I don't know. It's just, that's not working for me. And then you get more depressed because you're like, why doesn't that work? Mm. You know, but you know, there are different things for different people. Now, my personal toolbox, what I realized is that, and this takes time. I mean, it took time for me to realize what works for me, but I do find my job very stressful. You know, I'm at the hospital during the day and I deal with really complex psychiatric and behavioral health cases and fortunately suicides and really hard stuff, really, really Mm -hmm. emotionally challenging things. So I have a connection with nature. I find that if I get out for a hike, if I go outside, if I see beauty in nature, it reminds me of how small I really am in this universe and it grounds me and it makes my problems seem much less and I'm able to breathe and appreciate how beautiful the external world is. And that's one of my main tools in my toolbox is get outside in nature go for a hike, look around, suck it all up and realize that you are not the center of this universe, not even close, you know, and it, it sort of diminishes a lot and really, really relaxes me. And the other thing that I do, I do a lot of action sports. I ride motocross motorcycles. I, you know, I surf, surfing is really important for me, (laughs) but, but if I'm, if I am just in my office, literally mindfulness and deep breathing works tremendous for me as well. 
I always say that if you're having a challenging day to always revert back to the three M's and that's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to mindfulness, it's just being present movements, just a couple simple stretches. If that's all that you can do and mental engagement is validate yourself, validate your purpose. When you start to put yourself in a position where you feel good about who you are and you're stimulating your mindset, I'm telling you that is when you will be able to set yourself up to hopefully encourage yourself to remember who you are. So I'm going to tap into now as I leave every episode, I like to ask a few simple questions that tap into what make you, you. So as we were speaking so often about building our personalized toolbox to lend to our emotional journey, what served you the last time you experienced a flare up or a challenging moment? I think it was honestly, immediately grounding myself. One thing that I do is and this is an Alan Watts thing. It's a, you know, Richard Alpert thing. It's always now, right? If you Mm -hmm. tell yourself it's always now, I mean, again, a little trippy, but real, you're less overwhelmed because what we tend to do or what I tend to do is look at my schedule and I go, oh man, I have, you know, 20 patients to see tomorrow. I have to go on this show. The next day I'm doing this podcast. I got to get my own thing going on. And then you see that whole month just piled on your shoulders And when you bring yourself to the present and you say, it's always now and right now, everything's just fine. Mm -hmm. Right now, as I sit here and take a deep breath, everything's okay. There's no fire. There's no fire. I'm not having a heart attack. I'm not dying. It's okay. So so just grounding myself was probably the last tool that I've used when I started to feel overwhelmed with, you know, life, you know, life in general. Well, brings me into my next question. As we encourage everybody to check in with themselves on a daily basis, how do you check in with yourself? When you wake up in the morning, do you do a gratitude list? Do you um, you know, have a routine in which you feel like is your five minutes to be able to give that time to you? What sort of works for you? Yeah, for me, it's incredibly important to start with a positive mindset. Because what you realize in psychiatry and behavioral health is that perspective is so ridiculously important. And so much of this stuff sounds silly. You're talking to a guy, Haley, you are talking to a guy. I wish you knew me 10 years ago. I was like that scientific, if the data wasn't there, if the math wasn't there, I don't want to hear it. I want to see labs. I want to see medications. I want to see (laughs) neuroscience. I'm telling you, that was totally me. And all this foo-foo stuff like meditation, mindfulness, like, but- Coming around full circle, I completely realized, and even with the neuroscience behind it, that positive thinking patterns continue positive neural patterns. Yeah. So, so there is science behind that. So in short, you know, my thing is making sure that if I get up in the morning and I'm getting ready, I just, I, I get a positive mindset and I say, you know, today's going to be a good day. It's going to be a beautiful day. And think of all the positive things. There may be 10 negative things. There may be 10 positive things. I'm going to focus on those 10 positive things because the way the human mind works is we have what's called selection bias or confirmation bias, where if there's like 10 amazing things going on, but one negative, guess which one you're going to focus on? You're going to focus on that negative. So you got to really just think about all the beauty and the positives and I just do that for a few minutes in the morning. And it's it's kind of like sets the day. It's like gets everything ready to go in a positive way. 
that's a whole nother conversation that we can have on the sense of, you know, sometimes people feel it's the easier route to go to the negative. So it can be the harder route to go to the positive, but keep on pushing. Um, lastly, I'm just going to say, what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? Now, these can be words, feelings, saying stories, pretty much whatever authentically comes to your mind. Oh, my goodness. This is serious stuff. I you're know. Really, you're, you are dropping some bombs here. I um, love it. And this was totally unprepared. Just for you, so your viewers know, this, she didn't tell me she was going to do this. So, uh, but I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. They, I love it. It doesn't love have it. to be serious. I mean, they can be as silly as you'd like I them to be. It. No, no, no. I love it. And it's important. So I think that I started out as an idealist, like I told you before. And mm -hmm. I realized that life is not that way. Life is not rigid. It's flow. It's soft. Life is gooey. It moves. You got to flow with it. It's like waves. It's not rigid. There's no specific trajectory that you have to abide by. There are no rules that society kind of makes you stick in. My realization that life is a flow, that it's soft and you could roll with things and up and down and that life-changing, life-changing. So that realization for me was life-changing. Um, the other life-changing things were becoming somewhat successful, I guess in my mind, right? Like having a good job and, and having some money in the bank and realizing like, so what? Like that didn't do anything. I thought it was gonna do something, but maybe for a minute, but no, that's not what it's all about, right? So that was another, yeah. another big one. And then, and then the other one, I think, Going to medical school and thinking that I'm going to learn everything about everything and have this sort of control and knowledge, but yet going to medical school was like a smack across the face going, you, we have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea, right? So you just spent all this time learning this stuff and it's great and it's all in the textbooks, but you know what? There's a lot more that we don't know than we do know. So humility in that respect was a huge life lesson for me. I think that was three, but yeah, those are the big ones. Those are the big no, ones. No, they were gorgeous. And I love it. <laughs> and I, I, you know, what I took away from that last one is that you like to be challenged. It seems like it's like, you like to be able to be curious within your job and you had that opportunity without even really asking for it. And it's a beautiful thing. It then allowed you to have that ebb and flow. It allowed you to be able to get more comfortable with not knowing where, what the future holds. And I think that's kind of where we all are today with this past year, we all don't really know what the future holds. And the fear of the unknown was something that we were all fearful of. But if we can all lend our experiences to being in that position before the pandemic and how we were able to cope with it, hopefully we can help you guys say that it's going to be okay. And it's okay to not all have all the answers and, and take it moment by moment. And you'll still be able to live that successful, beautiful life that you were looking forward to. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story, your insight today, Dr. Dom. And I'm just going to have to ask you if people want to hear more from you which i'm sure that they do where can they find you oh you guys can find me so my website www.drdsportelli it's dr d sportelli um instagram i'm on all the social media so go go look me up I'll, you'll find me on there somewhere 
Well, thank you for being just such a lovely guest and sharing your vulnerability. And most importantly, just being able to showcase that even as a psychiatrist, you struggle too, but that you can always walk alongside your struggles with strength and insight and beauty. So thank you so, so much. If you're looking to continue the conversation with yourself around living an unapologetic, authentic lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We want to hear from you. So as you're listening to the podcast, downloading, subscribing, make sure to use the hashtag, hashtag RedefineYouHH. Head over to my socials at HHasselhoff and at Stage 29 Podcast. You are never alone in your quest to becoming the best possible you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Harinagay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.